Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers, leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this Deep Sales, and LinkedIn has built the first Deep Sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. Yes, I do think the 401k sometimes gets people a little bit drunk at the wheel. They think that they're doing something that's really good. And I cannot tell you how many times I've gone to these reviews with people and they're like, yeah, I want to retire at 45. And I'm like, great. And they're like, I got 100,000 or 200 to $300,000, $400,000 of savings all at my work's 401k. And I'm like, you probably need to stop putting money there then because that's not in line with what you want to do. What's going on, guys? Welcome into today's episode of Money Moves. We are back. Maddie A., my co-host, Mr. Breedwell. What's up, y'all? We got lots to cover today. Stocks, real estate investing, personal finance, as we always do to help you on your march to that million-dollar mark and beyond. If you're new here, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And for all of you who listen in and support, I know many of you send me screenshots of the reviews that you send in. Greatly appreciate it. If you haven't taken... 90 seconds to leave us a review either at millionermindcast.com or on iTunes. It would mean the world to us. It's how we continue to share and spread this free information and pull more people into these kind of conversations. And of course, don't forget to take advantage of all the great tools and resources, freebies, paid products that we have for you guys at millionermindcast.com. And for those of you that have an investment portfolio and you want somebody to go through that with a fine-tooth comb, and to build out either suggestions and or a completely different plan to give you a different perspective. That is one thing that Ryan and his amazing team do for all our Millionaire Mindcast listeners. You just got to text the word X-Ray to 844-447-1555. And that will get you connected with him and his team. And they'll go through how they can do that for you guys. Again, that's completely free and just a value add for our listeners. For all my credit investors, if you're not on my deals list, uh, I got one coming out this week. Uh, so be sure to text the word DEALS. Again, accredited investors only. DEALS to 844-447-1555. With that being said, Mr. Breedwell, what up? I know you were having a great week in the market last week uh, oh, yeah. with obviously earnings coming in. Another week of earnings that I know we're going to talk about uh, today. We've got some updates on inventory, on the house pricing index, 
what banks are up to. They just came out with their SLU survey that we'll talk a little bit more about that. Of course, we got some updates on what's going on in the political world, Department of Justice, uh, trying to pull some uh, interesting tactics, maybe on behalf of the Biden administration. We got whistleblowers going in today. We got all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the world right now. But why don't we start with last week, we had... Uh, what was it, a 93 or 94% chance of a rate hike. The Fed came out. They did their rate hike, 25 basis points. It was 99.4. Is that what it ended up being? Uh, Highest level in more than 22 years in terms of a federal funds rate. And as of this last week, uh, obviously many people heard you know, Papa Powell get on the mic and basically talk about how uh, there's still what feels like a significant amount of work and efforts on behalf of the Fed in order to get it down to that 2% mark. I think it was, was it Goolsby, Fed Chair Goolsby had kind of talked about, hey, hikes, cuts, nothing's off the table at this point in time. What was your takeaway and what was the market's takeaway from the rate hike last week and some of the narrative that has followed uh, over the course of the last few days? Well, I actually thought he was much more dovish than than I was anticipating. I was anticipating him to be a little more hawkish um, and and stamp out some of the areas. But he did mention that he, uh, he welcomed the good PCE information that had come out a week prior and said that they noted that and that he was noticing that the inflation data that was starting to come in in the short-term and near-term future was likely and, and currently uh, better than they were expecting and trending in the right direction. Excuse me. So I actually was really happy. That's why we saw a big shoot-up um, in the market during uh, after hours when he was speaking and um, the following day. I think the biggest down uh, last week was we had good news on Microsoft and that oddly uh, had it kind of shoot down. So I think that was the only thing that investors were kind of scratching their head. They were looking for something from Powell. It wasn't because of that. It was more of a technical behind the scenes issue. But Powell really gave us pretty good... I took that as I think I might be willing to pause again at the next meeting and be open to being paused and or cutting only moving forward. Because as I said, if they continuously raise, the more they raise this year, the more they'll have to cut next year. And I and cutting too much is as bad as raising too much. There's kind of a, a happy medium somewhere in the middle, and they're they're really at the tipping level of raising too much. So I, I think that now you you're probably going to see pauses moving forward, hopefully, um, and 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 then we should go into cuts um, as, as the inflation data shows that it's caught up kind of sticks around and then starts to trend downwards. And then we can cut into that as the Fed reaches their Fed funds rate that they're still targeting, which is that five and a quarter to five and a half percent, I believe, long term. Yeah, excuse me, in the short term, two percent in the long term. Excuse me, I misspoke two to two and a half percent. Yeah, you mentioned the housing kind of PCE kind of inflation metric up eight point uh, 8% year over year in June down from 8.3% in May. and down from the cycle peak of 8.4% in April. So they feel like the rate hikes slowly are starting to trickle into some of the trailing data that is trending in the direction that they want to see, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that they're they're essentially saying, hey, you know, 
all right, we kind of are seeing what you guys are saying and we're starting to see that bake into pricing and indicators that we are tracking, but we want to make sure that we're not giving up too early or throwing the white flag up too early. So I, I do think they're going to be... Uh, we are in the market zone of where bad news is good news. So the jobs report later this week, uh, we had a huge shock last time, I think, uh, for uh, it was a, it was a job. I think it was non-farm payrolls, I believe, is what we, sh- what we were shocked on. Sorry, guys, I am not remember the exact name. But that that report was essentially was the nail in the coffin for, I think we went from 94 to 98% in like 30 or 40 minutes after that report came out on the Fed futures. Um, because the job market is just, was still... Very, very, very hot and heavy. Um, yep. That, we want to see that slowing down. So this week, if we can get a... I think the estimate on that is somewhere under 200,000 versus like the 498,000 it was last time. And I think that report comes up on Thursday. Um, Thursday or Friday. That will help the, the to push that narrative more toward the Fed. Like, yes, yeah, you probably can pause. There's not much more to do as far as any more lifting. We just need to hold where we currently are, make sure the data keeps rolling in in a way that you know massages the Fed saying, yes, it, look, it is working. Look, that is improving. Look, that's another month of forward that is improving. And then I think we'll start getting to cuts towards the end of the year. Because everybody, you know, January, nobody thought there was going to be a pause in uh, June. And in um, March, nobody thought they were going to potentially be pausing at the end of the year. And here now people mm-hmm. are saying, hey... Fed futures are pricing in the next, the rest of the year's meetings being cuts at worst, and excuse me, uh, pauses at worst and cuts at best. There's mm-hmm. not really, um, I don't, I didn't see any, and I just checked today before I got on. I didn't see any Fed futures that are currently priced for any more hikes. That that doesn't mean that that can't happen. We have a long time before the next meeting, like thirty or thirty some odd days. Um, yep. But it, that's where we're currently sitting is I think we're in pause territory from now on. Well, based on, let's see, Freddie Mac house price index came out this week or today, which increased in June to a new high up 1.7% year over year. Mm -hmm. The Fed SLUS report, S-L-L-O-S, essentially reported that banks have reported tighter standards in their lending practices and weaker demand for all loan types. So when you kind of start gathering all the data and kind of trying to connect all the dots and all the puzzle pieces, a lot of the stuff that they're fighting against, the leading actions are starting to show up in the lagging data. And I think they it's just too early to tell how well it's working and how accurate some of those predictions and reporting are. And I think we're going to get that in Q3 is kind of the overall sentiment. It feels like if we do turn, if we have turned the corner in some of the areas of the Fed fighting the inflation the way they want to and where they want to see it starting to pull back on, it feels like we're at the very early stages of seeing that data swing back in the, in the right direction, correct? Yeah. And I would say that it, the trend is leading towards what you're saying, where things are getting back back to where we want them to be. Um, and, the, and just today, even all the bond yields, and especially on the front end of the curve, uh, two-year yield is back down below 4.9, I think at about the 4.8 mids or high mids. So um, things are moving in the right direction. 
kind of in all areas. Stock market's saying there's no longer going to be a hard landing. Bond market's not saying that. Real estate market's staying resilient. Anybody who wants a job can go find a job quickly. It's just hard to have a recession with all these uh, kind of ingredients going on in the final recipe. Yeah. Well, we've got inventory that increased 1.1% week over week. I think that's the third consecutive week in a row. So definitely paying attention to that. But again, we're down 10.1% year over year. And we already knew what inventory was like last year, let alone being 10% lower than that this year. Mm-hmm. In addition to where it was, which was already relatively competitive and tight in 2019, down still 50% from there. So nothing really too drastic or exciting to report there. Definitely seems like some of the, as you know, month over month starts to go in the rearview mirror, some of the commercial real estate distress is starting to pick up a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, recent statistic, the total for all commercial properties that were found to be in distress, um, essentially a note coming due, unable to service you know, the debt, things along those lines, was $72 billion uh, in the United States, which is up 13% from the first quarter. So that's quite a bit when you start... Office you know, space. Correct. Office is obviously definitely uh, kind of the leader in that space of distress but still something that um, I think is going to be interesting to pay attention to and how do banks, the Fed, and you know investors in the industry in that particular side of the market in commercial specifically handle and whether that storm and what opportunities trickle out, what you know subsidy and or backstop you know and or incentive to work out some of these distressed opportunities, how big does that wave really get? I think that's something to be paying close attention to because I think there's definitely going to be some good opportunities in there. Um, I'm curious on your thoughts though. Is is Wall Street going to benefit most from this commercial wave of distress or will Main Street get any piece of that? Um, I think probably deep pockets. So that that would lend me to like Wall Street or big real estate funds and investors and stuff like that, foreign and domestic. Um, Because there's a huge need for housing and we don't really have a lot of great areas to say, well, hey, we can build houses and make them quite affordable. Right now, quite the opposite. So I think there's a lot of affordable type housing or apartments or apartment homes or that type of deal that needs to get built up. Um, and so I think there's going to be a lot of new houses going up in areas. And I'm, I think there's going to be like new style of projects. That's why I was saying, you know, we have all this distressed commercial property. I, I feel like a lot of it's going to be attempted or thought of to be repurposed for housing. Yeah. I mean, um, for the first time in history, the amount of office space in the U S is de- declining. Um, and, and that's like unheard of, right? Cause mm-hmm. Office historically, year over year, the footprint has continued to grow. This is the first year, based on a lot of the data we've gathered and a lot of the you know societal trends and you know culture shifts that have occurred since post COVID, mm-hmm. that we're starting to see people look at office space and say, "I don't need it anymore," which I think poses an interesting opportunity for developers investors to repurpose those assets into other areas that we know demand is continuing to grow or expanding. 
So that's going to be something really interesting to pay attention to. I also, you know, think that what's going to be interesting is certain, you know, single family markets. If you're a single family investor, um, either starting to plateau or still having a good chunk of runway left in them based on this build to rent and, you know, that build to rent model and there being just more demand flowing into those markets with a lot of population influx versus mm. some of these markets losing some of that demand. I think that's definitely something to be paying attention to. I thought it was interesting. Single-family home prices in Florida have flattened for the first time since 2011 after climbing almost 50% in the past three years. So, you know, as we saw on last week's episode, right, some of the most appreciating markets since 2020 were in Florida. But it seems like some of those markets are losing steam. Some of them still have some good runway. But I think there's some good... In that data, I think there's some good potential clues on what markets still have some good runway left in them. Um, so be paying attention to that, guys. I think there's uh, some clues in, in some of that. I'm curious um, for our younger listeners, our Gen Zers, our millennials. I saw an interesting t- statistic. I wanted to get your take on this. The average 401k balance for a Gen Zer is about $7,100 total per fidelity. I think for millennials, it was something like 30000 or something along those lines. If you were a younger investor right now, that was a Gen Z or was a millennial, talk about your thoughts on the 401k, if and when it makes sense, and where its place is in the overall investment strategy of a younger investor who's got a longer horizon in front of them. Sure. Um, 401ks aren't a bad thing. I just think there's, you know, in a lot of cases, if we get somebody early on enough, we can kind of do other things that are just a little more beneficial to their short-term, mid-term and long-term goals. Um, 401ks are employer-sponsored retirement plans. And generally in the United States, you're going to have ones that are called safe harbor. So they have a match that vests immediately. And you can contribute up to a percentage. Generally, it's 5% of the employee's income. And then you get a maximum match of 35 or 4.5% or another 5% of your income on top of that. And that's the company's money. And so you put away 5% of your annual gross pay and 8.5% magically goes in there. right? So that's the idea of the 401k. And in some cases, you even get a tax write-off based on some of the money that's put in there. The negative on those is if you take a money out of a 401k, like a lot of people want to loan out of them, there's a not of there's a really uncommon rule that's not known a lot that if you don't pay that money back within 60 days, there's a penalty. And then you have to count it sometimes as income. So that's a negative thing on loans out of 401k is that $50,000 that you can take out. And you can't really use that money without penalty under current law until age 59 and a half, or another way to say that is just age 60. So you have a really big number on a piece of paper, but you can't touch that money until you get to a pretty long age down the road. And then finally, when you do get there, all the money is taxes earned income. Even though the only $1 that you put in there was earned income, if it makes $1,500, all $1,500 of those dollars are taxed like they're earned income because they're made off of their... uh, derived from a deferred earned income source. 
So yeah. a lot of the times, like what I do for myself or like what you do for yourself is we have people that have real estate or they do or they don't. And then we'll have them put money into a life insurance policy and a brokerage account and kind of do those in conjunction because they can lend out of their policy once it gets capitalized enough. It is non-qualified, but tax-free. Non-qualified is a fancy way to say that it doesn't get any special tax treatment. So you can take as much money out whenever you want if it's available and you can put as much money in. Brokerage account being the same. Uh, and then when you have that trifecta, like that insurance policy, that brokerage account, and that real estate, and you're a full-time real estate investor, that helps us easily and effectively get to a 0% tax bracket whenever you want to retire because you're deriving a huge amount of tax benefits as a real estate investor. And then you get to leverage that against the tax benefits of the other two accounts. So it gives that's kind of the formula that I like to see a lot of people doing, especially for younger investors, because they have the time horizon to not worry about the $3,000 in a write-off they're going to get in the, from their 401k. And rather have access to that money and being part of their liquid net worth, not just part of their net worth. You and I have had some good discussions around this topic, right? There's a lot of financial tools and instruments that have been woven into the fabric of society for many generations that serve the overall system and purpose of the way it was designed, but not necessarily always serve the individual that is contributing to those instruments. Would you classify the 401k as one of those instruments that's a little bit outdated and that there are other alternatives, kind of like what you just shared a little snapshot of, that serve the investor better long-term and achieve the same goals, if not better long-term than what many people believe is the right route and path to kind of a vanilla retirement plan? Yeah, I do think so. And uh, again, kind of the goal of the 401k was to push the retirement, the servicing of the retirement account more so onto the individual and away from the employer. That's why there's less and less and less pensions nowadays. So um, the employer is still going to put a small portion, but you're on the hook to make the first kind of contribution before they make some match. Almost you have to be responsible for your retirement before somebody else is and my grand, you know, my great grandfather, his, his, all he had to think about is when do I retire because I have a pension in Social Security. Is that easy? Yep. But yes, I do think the four hundred one k sometimes gets people a little bit um, drunk at the wheel. They think that they're doing something that's really good, and I cannot tell you how many times I've I've gone to these reviews with people, and they're like, "Yeah, I want to retire at forty five, and I'm like, "Great." And then like, I got 100,000 or 200 to $300,000, $400,000 of savings all at my work's 401k. And I'm like, you probably need to stop putting money there then because that's not in line with what you want to do. And so I think the 401k is more in line with work until you're 62 to 65 and enjoy yep. 15 to 20 years of retirement, five to 10 years of them being healthy years. And then we'll, we'll mooch off you in the back end. This is the IRS mm-hmm. talking it's talking versus stop worrying about paying an additional five, six, seven thousand dollars a year in taxes. Recoup that over a year to 36 months because that's how long it takes in your investment account and have full access to those funds. So when you have half a million dollars in your investment account and you make 30% in a year, so you just made $150,000, you can maybe tap into that and go towards yourself and take you or your spouse or your family on a trip. Um, 
when you have an investment opportunity and your little leverage, and maybe you need to tap into your insurance policy, you can do that because you've capitalized that over a long period of time. And it'll eventually be your tax-free income source. Too much gets caught up in, let me put something in and get something immediately. And a lot of those things just don't pan out for the long term. So the yep. those three items, again, um, there's a book called The Power of Zero by uh, David McKnight. And the only thing I separate from that book is I say, I instead of a Roth IRA, which I can bill you on, and I'd make more money if you put money into a Roth IRA. Why don't we use real estate? Why don't you become a real estate investor so you can leverage the real estate side of it? And then I'll do those other two things. And when they finally all come together, you have this really, really nice financial plan that doesn't take some crazy tax attorney, that doesn't take some wild accounting plan. And that's not anything that hasn't been done for a long time. Real estate's been done for as long as real estate's been around. Insurance has been around since the stock market. The stock market has been around pretty much since they've been shipping stuff overseas and wanted to do regulated gambling, if we're being honest. So mm-hmm. doing all these things together, we have a lot of data. You have a lot of people doing it. It's not necessarily um, speculative like a lot of things that get you quick rich are. They work really well and have a high success rate of people that just put up and kind of shut up and keep on those plans. And then they check back in in five, six, seven years and they've continued to stick to their goal and they've continued to put money in these accounts and we're averaging really high rates of return and doing really well. It just takes time. Yeah. And the reason why I asked that question is just because I think, you know, a lot of what I see really old, like really wealthy people do, it's not the vanilla plan that 99% of the investment advisors out there are advising their clients on doing. Like there are definitely some foundational vehicles and, and plans that make sense. But it seems like so many people I know are just subscribing to the same old you know, investment plan with the same old mindset around it. And ultimately, when you take, you know, let's say the population of the earth, you know, 97% of people are broken, unhappy and struggling all the time. And yet that's the plan that most people are subscribing to. And it's just not really getting them across that finish line, right? Versus there being more conversations like this, which is why I'm asking you these pointed questions is because I do think that while there are foundational tried and true vehicles and plans that you should have as a piece of your plan, it shouldn't be the, this is what has been done forever. And this is what most people I know do type of mentality. It should be, okay, these things have worked. And what else is outside of the box that I may not be thinking about or exploring that is still working for other people. Um, and I just feel like there's a lot of information and now, you know, good conversations like this that people are getting access to, to go, Hmm, maybe contributing to a 401k for the next 35 years, isn't going to get me to my goals as quickly and or efficiently as I want them to. Maybe there's a better way. Right. And so that's why obviously you offer the x-ray, anybody that wants to take advantage of that x-ray to 844-447-1555. Um, but I just think those are important questions to be thinking about and talking about as I've gotten more under the hood of the way things have been done for a really long time. Many of them are tried and true. Don't, don't, don't break. Yeah, they don't not work. You can retire at 60 on a 401k for sure. That's just yeah. not, that's not the 
conversation at the dinner table that happens anymore. It's, it's at least just, at least in not, our dinner tables, right? Because it's like I don't want to defer all my fun shit for the rest of my life until after I'm sixty. I want to be doing it now and as frequently as possible along the way to crossing that sixty threshold. But that not being the you know milestone I have to hit before I can start enjoying and living my life of freedom, right? So yeah. If you it's were just to, like you find, it's like you find somebody like um, you you know this person. It's taking a step back when you own a lot of real estate and under, understanding that that net worth is on paper a lot of it, and there's a lot of process to get it off the paper. When yep. you get jammed up into the 401k and you get so deep into it, it's like oh I'm 900k into my 401k. You almost have to just keep going that route because that's kind of your boat that you've built and you're sailing on. And I mean yeah. I'm. I've ran the numbers on people and I'll end on this. Sorry to go a little deeper. But it's like 50% different in the tax brackets in the back end. I mean, I see people start at like 23 and end in 36% tax bracket because they have all qualified funds versus before deductions on real estate and before any of that other stuff. They're in like a 13 to 14% bracket. They probably can write a lot of that or most of that off against their real estate or other items, yep. maybe their standard yep. deductions, like a lot of real estate investors do. So to me, that's just a lot better. And wouldn't it be a great world if people focused on buying like a realist, a piece of real estate every 24 months and turning it into an investment property versus jamming, I'm not kidding, you know, $22,000 per person in the household per year. You could buy a rental with that in a state with really good landlord laws and earn more money off of that asset in the short term and then sell it in the long term or 1031 exchange in the long term. And it benefits you both better in the short term and in the long run. So that to me makes a lot more sense than just saying, I'm going to have all my money on a piece of paper. Agreed. I don't blame you. Now, a couple final thoughts and questions here for you as we wrap up. Uh, today's episode, Meta uh, Threads has lost half of their users per Reuters. Are there any new report? It's about to be eighty percent. I've seen it. It's down. Eight, their, their traffic's down eighty percent since launch. I just saw the report come back in my, through my terminal. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I went on it for the first couple of days, and I'm like, this is the same damn thing as Twitter. Like, and I, I, I don't like, you know, I, I like uh, Twitter's values more than I do uh, Facebook. So I'm just gonna go play over there. I'm curious, will that have any impact in their their stock or anything along those lines? Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network 
and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast. And trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's my first. 50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. Until ad revenue from Meta and Google slows down, I don't see that being a huge detractor. And although Meta has lost a ton of money, on the metaverse. I mean, probably their worst investment in the past five years. Huge, 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 huge in the red. That is their AI play. And I do think that in some aspect, whether I would use it or not, there's a lot of stuff that people consume that I don't in large quantities. I think that's going to be something that people do consume a lot of in large quantities is the metaverse. I don't know how, um, but I do see that that's the play on that. I um, I think Microsoft is going to be somehow in there because Microsoft has a lot of AI. So I think what's going to happen is you're going to see this like conglomerate product where they're all it's like a, it's like one product that's fed by five different players. Uh, Microsoft yep. and ChatGPT do the language analysis and the metaverse hosts you know the social space. There's a lot of integration to still be had. Um, but a lot of things are going to start coming down the pipeline because now we have the SEC case with Ripple, and now there's cross-payment borders that we are cross-border payments, excuse me, that we could do that are a lot more effective. So is that going to help with currency in that type of space? Um, so it's just like there's this huge melting pot now, and and mm-hmm. it's almost like every day or every month that goes by, more so, there's more ingredients added that completely change for the better all the stuff that's in the front end. So I think it's a good time to get into kind of all of it because I think all of them have their fingers in the pie. And then you'll have the wherewithal or if you're working with an advisor like myself, you have the data and the wherewithal to start slimming off on names and loading up on names that are doing... Based on that data comes triple. Yeah. And like in your portfolio and in my portfolio, our winners for the past like year have been NVIDIA. Uh, We got an NVIDIA some for everybody around the 123 to 146 range. Um, and and Meta, I'm in the 96 yep. range. So like, that is a good place to be. I don't see huge pullbacks coming down because of that. I do think that the stocks would be higher and we yeah, might get right. more overbought territory. Right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think where we are is um, one of these is going to win. That, and they're all going to do well. But one of these is really going to win. And I think Facebook's dog is actually going to turn into a cash cow for it. And so I think that's why a lot of people are starting to ignore the threads thing. Because that, I honestly thought... I didn't think that was going to work. That's kind of yeah. like... you know, if, Because they would have copied like every single app at this point and have been successful. Yeah. I think Stories was going to be their last one copying Snapchat. Uh, Twitter, to your point, it just has a different culture. 
And yeah. people think of Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, and I couldn't I couldn't think of two like opposite polar opposites. Uh, yeah, people. And I and I I prefer like you do the Twitter space. Yeah. Um, so with all that being said, getting broad exposure to the plays right now, having your shotgun is better than having your sniper rifle out and trying to go pick your unicorn because there's too much money going all out at AI right now. And nobody really knows what's going to hit. I mean, four months ago, it was ChatGPT. ChatGPT's um, traffic is down quite significantly since that time. So there's a lot of stuff that's going to come into favor, get really hot and heavy, and then go back down. And really hot and heavy and go back down. And this is the cycle in the case. And this is what happens when we have a new technology. Look at electric cars when it first started. And then we have Tesla pretty much now. So we need to, we need to let the stocks shake out and find out which one is going to be kind of the Tesla of AI. And then you have broader plays, speaking of Tesla, integrating those products into their products. And now you have a whole new um, mm-hmm. atmosphere of, of types of investments. So very exciting times. And I think we hit the nail on the head a few months ago when we said that AI was looking to be kind of the next powder keg. And it, it's really like the next industrial revolution, not just for the United States, but for the, for the world economy as a whole. And what it's going to do as far as pushing things forward um, in areas like healthcare, especially how, you know, using artificial intelligence to run simulations like we do with uh, performas, like we do with Monte Carlo simulations and giving us batches of data uh, that we can't physically run and making better decisions. I'm, I'm just really excited. Man, go on and on and on and on. But AI is looking to be really special for the next uh, coming years. Love it. Well, with that being said, we will keep you guys up to date on everything that transpires between today's episode and next week's episode. Again, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. If you enjoy the show, all we ask, share it with somebody, leave a review. And of course, don't forget to take advantage of your free financial x-ray by texting the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. If you want to get on my accredited investor list, text the word deals to that same phone number. And don't forget to check out all the great stuff we have for you guys at MillionaireMindcast.com. With that being said, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March to the Million and Beyond. We'll see you guys in next week's episode. Cheers. Cheers, y'all. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Money Moves. Be sure to tune in next week for more news and updates. And if you got some value from today's show, all we ask is that you take two minutes and leave a review in iTunes, where by doing so, you're going to get entered into win a $100 gift card. Also, Don't forget to take advantage of Ryan's free financial x-ray on your investment portfolio. And to do so, all you have to do is text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. What we have found by offering this out is most people have no idea what they're being charged from a fee perspective or really in most cases overcharged and whether or not their current investment and financial plan is actually aligned with what they're trying to accomplish. And this is something that Ryan and his amazing team do for all of our listeners for free. So be sure to take them up on that. Again, that's x-ray, one word, 844-447-1555. Also, if you're an accredited investor and you're not on my deals list, be sure to text the word deals to 844-447-1555 to be notified of the private investment offerings my team and I put out. And last 
Don't forget to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family at MillionaireMindcast.com. Whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, mastermind events, calculators, the Rich Life Planner for those looking to take their goal setting and productivity to the next level, we've got all kinds of great and valuable tools available at MillionaireMindcast.com. With that being said, that's all for this week. Until next week's episode, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March 2 million and beyond. Cheers, my friends.